Roger, this is Godfather. Send your traffic. Over. Roger. Line Sierra. Four enemy personnel. Break. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Greenside Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Mooney. I have as a guest of me today, Professor Roberta Stewart. She teaches, she's a professor here at Dartmouth College, and I brought her on today because she teaches a war stories class. And I won't even butcher this and try to explain it. I'll let you uh, kind of explain what is a war stories class. Because I, I, th- I think of people like around a circle like dipping and smoking. I'm sure that's not quite how your classroom goes. No, that's not how the classroom <laughs> goes. No, it's a class that looks at how we talk about war and how we talk about, it because of a Dartmouth term, I focused on how we talk about homecoming and the across time, across cultures. And uh, the idea for the course came from a community project that I've been involved in that I started 10 years ago, reading Homer with combat veterans. And as I read with veterans and became more and more aware of how perceptively veterans interpreted world literature that I read in very different ways, I became more and more convinced that offering a class that strung together a whole series of texts might be a useful engagement for Dartmouth students to think about problems of war, but particularly, at least for this offering, problems of the return of soldiers. And and why would you choose Homer in particular? Was it about Homer that that was the one book you wanted to read? Off well, the that book? was what was interesting. Um, if, you, if you want the backstory, I was uh, on sabbatical when the U.S. went into Iraq, mm-hmm. and I was watching television um, footage of the U.S. invasion, of wounded, of casualties, and I came back to the States, and I came into a vacuum. There was there were no news. So I started reading military blogs, and I became more and more convinced that soldiers would benefit from knowledge of Homer. And I remember I wrote one military blogger and said, read Homer. Homer would understand what you're saying. And then I got this light bulb moment, and I started I proposed to the VA a reading book program on uh, reading Homer with combat veterans, and I've been doing it ever since. And what the Dartmouth class allowed me to do was take something that was an idea that was a community outreach project and really ramp it up and and develop a curriculum and, and actually begin to educate myself more deeply about this type of literature, but also... Uh, develop a better understanding of different soldiers coming home across time. Did you find that while you, when you were doing this and reading these books and reading Homer with veterans, was it was it therapeutic for veterans? Did they somehow grasp through this process a better understanding of of their own experiences in war, or or even what constitutes a war story? Absolutely, and I and and when I say war story, I mean generally the use of narrative to think about uh, problems of of going to war, being at war, and coming home from war. And one of the things that I think that language does is, and one of the things that I think that literature does, I, I this is my shtick. 
in my class is that we really need our artists as much as we poo-poo them. I think artists are some of our most potent social critics and commentators, and they see things, and they package them in ways that make those insights um, uh, translatable for us and evident for us. And Homer, uh, Stephen Crane, the short stories about um, the Civil War, you know, he wrote these short stories he didn't himself serve, and yet Ernst, Hem- Ernest Hemingway said, you know, he got it. He really got it. Um, you know, Remarks, The Road Back, these are great pieces of literature, but they're also acute insight into how complex these problems are for soldiers who are coming back home. And and the advantage of all of these stories is that they're Germany after World War One. they're the Civil War, they're a, the mythic past of the Greek aristocracies. And it, they, what they make clear is some of the problems, some of the so-called problems, the experiences of American soldiers coming back after Vietnam, coming back after Iraq or Afghanistan, they're larger than an American experience. Right. Right. And, and, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, now you focus on all these different books. Do you ever go into something, I don't know if you want to call it more plain or direct. I, I don't know if you've heard of the book On Killing by yeah, Dave Grossman. Yeah, is, I've read that. Now, would, is that something yeah. you would... You would teach, or is that a little? Is that a little too direct? Not as yeah. it's not nuanced enough where there can be some type of like deeper kind of dialogue there. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the audience, doesn't it? Right, because yeah. I, I think it's an interesting book, and um, I've had several veterans recommend it to me, so I read it. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I learn a lot of the literature because veterans that I read with will show up and give me books or they'll say to me have you read or I'll get an email and say you should look at white donkey or right right, you know and and I and I I'm I'm open to being taught by veterans and I think that the dialogue that and the real idea of the course was that the dialogue that I've been creating with with veterans seem to go against this idea of a civilian-military divide. And so my thought was that in the Dartmouth classroom, we could actually um, get veterans, ta- get students talking to veterans, Get first of all, get students thinking about the experience of our veterans, and then getting get students to talk to veterans and to think carefully about the words that veterans um, uh are giving us about their experiences so that uh, we can be, I mean, it's a big civics lesson in a way. Yeah, I think that's interesting because you talk about bridging that civilian military divide. I think a lot of veterans or most veterans that I talk to very much feel like there is this huge divide. And there's an old saying like uh, America, especially during the height of the wars, America is not at war. America is at the mall. The military is at war. Now, that is very indicative of how a lot of guys felt about it and how even I felt about it, especially coming back. And I came back and actually spent some time with my cousin at her college and I stayed at her like sorority house and very immersed in this like culture thing in this. And I was, mm-hmm. I was just like, these people are just so just don't know. Like, right. like that there's this big world out there. You guys live in this ridiculous bubble of like That's Keystone right. light and playing cornhole and beer pong. And it's just like, That's right. it was, it was, and I wasn't That's like, right. and it actually was pretty mellow when I came back at first. I was really just happy to be alive. So I was actually sure. my, my most calm for like the first month. Cause I was just like, this is nice. This yes. is pretty sweet. And yes. so, but even then I, I wasn't like an angry thing, but I was like, Man, I kind of—it was almost like a feeling sorry for them thing yes. that they're gonna go through their whole lives living like 
and not to be mean, but kind of like a superficial existence. They're never going to see the depths of human emotion. They'll never know the bonds of combat, but they'll also never see uh, the full human experience. They'll never see the type of suffering and the and actually experience life and death because there's something very freeing about getting down to this primal level of killing and death and that's all you have to worry about you don't have to worry about cell phones and your girlfriend your twitter and your boss and you just have to exist in that moment and and living and dying and trying not to die and then trying to kill the other guy as your daily existence i think in a way to a lot of civilians it might sound wacky and weird or psychopathic if you like that but if you think about it, it's very freeing it's very like primal and it's very uh, it's complex, but yet very simple. And so I just felt like almost sad that some people, and of course you don't want everyone to go to war. I don't want my mom, my sister to ever experience these things. I don't want most Americans or all Americans to experience the horrors of it, but you can take some good things from it and some good life lessons. And I felt like, man, you'll never be able to put the fact you dropped your cell phone in the toilet where you were drunk into its proper context because it doesn't really matter. You know, you're not going to, you can That's go right. walk to Verizon, and get a That's new one right. and not risk a bullet to the, the abdomen. Right. And so, yeah, it was a very, it was a very weird thing for me. And the other thing I wanted to bring up is I was thinking about on killing. I didn't read the whole thing admittedly, but I did read it when I came back from some pretty heavy combat in 2010 in Afghanistan. Okay. And I, one thing that was really a point that was really interesting to me that I never in a million years thought of was he equated the act of killing to sex. And I never, I was like, wait, what? I couldn't think of things more opposed. And it was talking about just this, when you, if you like kill another human being, this very, this very deep uh, connection you now have with them, and especially if you're in a game of kill or be killed, there is a euphoric release when you're the one that wins, and then you establish this very uh, deep connection with that other person's soul kind of thing, and and it's very intimate, and especially if you know for like the Iraq guys in particular, I wasn't an Iraq veteran, but those guys did a lot of urban. Uh, room clearing very face to face and for them that is intensely personal I mean all combat is personal but in my style was very much over a few hundred yards and meters and and valleys and hills and things like that Um, only a few times did we get to engage super close within like 50 feet you know it was you know a handful but for those guys it was a daily kicking indoors thing and for that experience I could definitely see how it would be I could see the 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 emotional ties to equating it to sex. It was just something I never yeah. thought of before. Yeah. And, um, yeah. it's kind of, it kind of blew my mind just like reading that yeah. and, and, and in a way. Um, now do you find that doing this class with Dartmouth students is, like, do you feel that divide, uh, kind of like closes a bit in your classroom? Do you think that happens? I surely hope so. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but the real surprise and, so I was down in, in D.C. for um, at the NEH uh, because we got a grant for the Homer groups. And I had 48 hours of the talk about the military-civilian divide. And I was coming back, driving back like uh, a bench. I was driving crazily because I wanted to get back to the Duva annual dinner because I've never missed one since I've started being invited. And... I was thinking military-civilian divide, military-civilian divide, and then this light bulb went off, and I thought, wait a minute, and I'm going to answer your question. This is, this no, yeah, is yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I thought, wait a minute, my father served, my uncle served, my great-uncle served, my brother was rejected, um, and that 
military experience in my life and in my growing up was part of what you did as an American family. And that there, for me, the military-civilian divide was not real. Um, it's real now. It's being enacted now by our government because less than 1% are in the military and even fewer deploy and even fewer see combat. But so I, what I think, and, and that insight for me has been replicated in my classroom. What is truly interesting in my classroom is the students who have chosen to interview a family member. And so mm. a Dartmouth undergraduate whose dad was in the Air Force, a Dartmouth undergraduate whose cousin was in the infantry, a Dartmouth undergraduate, and, and so on. And so what I'm, what I think is really, a, a Dartmouth undergraduate who said, and this is dating me, you know, uh, who said, my grandfather served in Vietnam. And, um, and she took the opportunity of writing her paper to get to know her grandfather better. And so she had a series of questions. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, do you think your grandfather's really going to be as as open and honest as he might be? But what it provided was an opportunity for these families to talk about, you know, and I'm not saying I'm Florence Nightingale or, you know, <laughs> right, the, right. the solution to the world. But what I loved was the assumption, the presumption is that, oh, somebody else is doing the fighting. It's not us. And in fact, there are Dartmouth undergraduates who have immediate family members who have served in the military. And our population doesn't know that. Right. And being someone who yourself, you know, you're an academic, intellectual, you spend a lot of time, you know, you get your PhDs and you think about topics <laughs> deeply and you, you do these types of things and you weren't in the military before, but you had a family that was. Uh, but what do you think is some of the biggest things you've just learned through this process of, of, of working with veterans and especially when you're getting to the deepness of like war stories? I mean, at first, I don't know, I can imagine if you're, when you first start this out, you could be a little um, surprised at the candid nature. The veterans might be like, whoa, that's not how we talk in the English yeah. department. Oh, whoa, yeah. hey. Yeah, you know, it's very direct. It's very it's direct. Very direct. Well, what, how did you feel when you first like, encountered that? Was that a weird kind of... It was weird. It was very weird. And and the other thing is that I realized that that a lot of times I don't get the straight story. Right. I, I get, I, I, even from veterans who... Um, now I count as close personal friends, um, right. and I. But I don't think I. You, you know, I actually believe that we're all stories in process, and so if a veteran is talking to me about homecoming, and has a story that they're sharing about apropos of whatever i mean because a lot of times you know people are like oh so you read the book and then everybody talks about the issue in the book that's not how it works you know you read the book and somebody might say you wouldn't believe what happened to me you know <laughs> and right, right. and and the conversation what is wonderful is that the conversation and it's different from a classroom like a classroom it's got a curriculum it's got reading questions it's got essays but the book groups are different and veterans start opening up in in different ways and they tell you what they want what they want to tell you about themselves and none of it's it's true right it's true it's who they are and one of the uh, a student today gave his presentation and he said 
He met this uh, Dartmouth. Um, he's actually a resident at Dartmouth right now at DHMC. Amazing man. And uh, he, uh, he started by saying, I'm not going to talk to you about killing anyone. And, and the student said, you know, I was really um, worried. I thought, what's this interview going to be like? And he said, I think I got to ask about five questions. And we talked for a couple hours. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what that yeah. means is if you're respectful and if you show yourself to be interested in hearing, veterans will tell you. And, and it might not be the story you want, but what you have to do is say to yourself, what does this story mean? Right. And that's the war story, right? That's the war story. And what I'm sure that there were students in the class who came in and thought, oh, we're going to watch Apocalypse Now and it's going to be boom, boom, rah. And they looked at this syllabus that said Homer's Odyssey and said... Um, Stephen Crane episode of war and they thought what's going on here but a lot of the stories orbit around the the communication of veterans with the civilian world right or the or the world that hasn't gone with them because it's even people who've come back and they might have been World War two you know they've had a different war and you can it, it, and and so we've um, you know, and I'll probably, i it's the first time I've taught this class. I had an idea. Mm-hmm. I sort of put it out there. And now I'll reflect on it and, um, and see what happens. Do you think, whether it's the book club or the class, you know, there's, it's all, there's a lot of this is about vet, you know, helping veterans and then gaining insights and then reading books and, and talking things out or, or about the students and them figuring things out. Do you feel like you've grown or you've come to some new realizations oh, about, and maybe not just about veterans i mean about yourself even or life i mean is this, this journey like changed you a absolutely. bit absolutely yeah. well the whole thing you know it started because i turned 50 and i thought where had my ideals gone i was going to change the world mm-hmm. and this community book group was my way to give to the community you know i end up at this you know, I end up at Dartmouth. It wasn't what I thought I was going to do. It really wasn't. And what did you think you were going to do? Well, I was going to be a lawyer and fight the power. Um. And then I was going to be an academic. And I really saw myself teaching at a large public university and, and just, you know, really trying to give education to people. And I ended up at Dartmouth. And it's a great job. And I love my students. And, and you know, uh, it, but it isn't what I thought it was going to be. Or what I thought my life was going to be. And this is a way for me to communicate, to connect with people outside of Dartmouth and, and actually give freely to, right. my, to the world. And I think that that's what veterans do. They stand forward. Right? Right. They stand forward. And they're willing to give. They're, they're willing to put their lives on the line. And that separates out a particular kind of person. Yeah, I imagine, right. I imagine also because I feel like Dartmouth is a very kind of homogeneous, very eighteen to twenty-two. I mean, there is diversity, of course, and they push diversity, but there's still a very core of what Dartmouth is. Yeah. And I wouldn't say the core is is, is necessarily a div- or the stereotypical core is not a diversity of life experience. 
And, um, and so I think I could see like if you're starting this veteran engagement journey where, you know, one, the war story is just talking and then the bluntness. It could be like something almost like refreshing, kind of like a splash of cold water in the face. That's if right. you feel like you've been kind of, you know, because when you get into academia, this is my kind of take. You know, you you do PhDs. I mean, when you do a PhD, you you find a question or a thing you really want to answer and research, and that becomes your thing. But I I would assume I don't know that over time it's just like there's only so many ways you can like kind of flesh out, a, you know, get to the bottom of a question, mm-hmm. and so many times you can teach the same courses. And I feel like, and you know, if I feel like for you, this would be really refreshing to kind of just do something crazy, like fun. I think it'd be fun if you're, you know, and like I said, so many people just don't know how blunt and how to the point and how like just dark humored veterans can be. And if you're not used to it, like, whoa, that was, that was dark. (laughs) See, But that's what's fun. And, and the, the greatest thing about, I I have to trumpet, um, I have two learning fellows in the war stories class, Jason Lackman and Jonathan Conk. Um, and I have to say that, and the students are so respectful, and they and they recognize them, especially in the, as we've as we've read the modern literature, they recognize them as authoritative voices, and I think that's really important because in the structure of my class, I have veterans who are. I've had Jason, uh, Jason and Jonathan as discussion leaders. I've had um, Jason and Jonathan sort of providing commentary on various uh, texts. And what that's allowed to happen is the students to recognize that there's a whole world that, that they don't know about, that, that I don't necessarily know about, that we can actually learn by listening to the veterans and and you know again this is one of my you know clichés probably but I love to talk about authoritative voices and I think the idea is to make the veteran an authoritative voice not about all war right but certainly to bring the veteran to the table to tell us about his or her war experience and and we've done that in the class and it's really energized the class in profound ways and these two Dartmouth Students, you know, one's a Mal student, one's a Dartmouth undergrad, have really again stepped forward and just done remarkable work. Right. And I get them privately, you know, when we have our learning fellow session, the things I've learned, you know, because we just start talking about a topic and Jason and Jonathan will start telling me their, you know, stories. Right. <laughs> well, in, in both of them, if I know like Jonathan Kong, he was a Navy corpsman which is a medic for Marines. And he has a silver star for his actions in Afghanistan and what he went through. And I believe Jason um, is was a ranger or SF or yeah, something yeah, in the Army. Yeah. So you have two people who not only are just veterans, but are veterans that very much experienced war That's right. and the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. That's correct. And so, um, correct. you know, you, you kind of, I don't want to be biased, but you kind of need someone who's, "Quote unquote," been in the trenches. If you're going to teach a war stories class, because like really only about one percent of veterans are actually experiencing full on actual seek and search and kill the enemy kind of combat. And and people don't. And I've mentioned this other podcasts. A lot of people don't get that. They think if a veteran goes to Afghanistan, they've been in combat. Absolutely not the case. Correct. You know, there's Pizza Huts and ice cream shops over these big bases. So to get two guys in there that are so experienced and you know so accomplished in their fields. Correct. I mean, I'm sure just adds. Just exponentially, exponentially adds to the it, it class. It truly does. It truly does. And and what I would say 
to that is that the other piece of it is that it allows us to think critically about the modern literature. And because the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, has produced a very large mass of literature. A lot of veterans are writing. Not all of them have seen combat. And and it's been interesting for the two of them to to speak with me about and I've had I've had the advantage of knowing Duva vets now for several years. And I worked with a couple of Duva vets on my NEH grant work with uh, New Hampshire Humanities and in fact we wrote Duva into the grant and I can tell you more about that if you wanted to know but oh, real, I, real quick I just want to say sorry, Duva for those who don't know is Dartmouth Undergraduate Veterans Association yes. so it's just the undergrads at, at Dartmouth I just yes. want to let people know that so yes and I met a couple of them uh, through the book groups the community groups and we wrote them into the grant for the the successful grant with the National Endowment for the Humanities and it was a collaboration that Dartmouth did with um, New Hampshire Humanities on developing a curriculum of modern war, war literature that would accompany Homer. And the insight that I got um, on that war literature from Duva Vets, <laughs> excuse me, was, was refreshing, was startling, and it got me thinking, I want learning fellows for the War Stories class because... They, you all know at a at a at a deeper level than I, you can evaluate these texts and and their representations. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes total sense. Um, and I, I can, yeah, I think having those fellows in the class, I guess I can, I can only imagine would really enhance and up the the seriousness and the authenticity of the class because you have yourself who has the academic and the professional knowledge and capabilities to push people in that type of realm and structure it. And then you add in student on the ground experts. Yeah. And and, I, and that kind of leads me to kind of like, I guess, a, a final point here that I want to make is I think it's really important. You know, I think a lot of times the veteran community, especially the combat veteran community, we can, oh, and I've, I did it, I've done it. You can be very guilty of thinking you have, you have, you own the polarity, I can't even talk, of opinions on war and on combat. Like, listen, like if you haven't done it, you don't know. And I mean, of course, some of that is true, obviously. Like, yeah, you don't know. But it can be dangerous to get too into that thinking and to tune out other voices. I mean, that's, that's you know, right. the spirit of America is a like a civilian-led military and things like that. And so sometimes vets can get a little too, uh, they can exclude other voices when it comes um, to war because they think they own all the opinions. Now, certainly when it comes to the actual fighting and pulling a trigger, yes, I think you pretty much, right. uh, for a large part, own a good chunk of that conversation. Not all of it still, but it can trickle over into policy and politics where it's like, well, you haven't fought the war. You How do you? How can you say what Millie's policy is? It's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm a professor who's been studying for 40 years and has been in all these think tanks and worked for the DOD. Right. And it's like, well, you never pulled a trigger, you sissy. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, you have to, mm-hmm. we need a, a good complement of voices, and I think for veterans to to push themselves and read and and study and get the academic piece down, that was a huge thing that helped me coming back. You know, I did the Afghan thing. I went over there right as I turned twenty. I mean, a very you know young man. And so you're you're doing what you want to do. I, I signed up because I wanted I wanted to be an infantryman. I left my full ride at college actually to do this because I I didn't want to miss the war. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fight. And so you're doing what you want to do. But I think when I got back. 
getting into the academic and, and reading and trying to understand like one why are we there and you know even now I can see the old me if you were to say like the Iraq war was a bad idea I would be like you're not a patriot Disgust, you know, disgusting mm-hmm. and now you know as I've gotten older and I've done reading and research I can say well you know I don't know maybe policy wise that that was what we should have done and to me that doesn't take away from the sacrifice and I think a lot of That's veterans right. get very upset because like are you saying my friend who died in my arms died for nothing and mm-hmm. to that I would say no because let's be honest most at least for me I'm I don't want to speak for everybody, but when you join the infantry and you volunteer for that, you want to, you're the type of guy who wants to like to get in a little scrap, like to get in a little fight. Right. And you, you went there and you went there with your boys and you did your job and there's a bond and there's a camaraderie. Cause when you're out there going on patrol every day and facing IEDs and facing bullets every day, I'm not thinking about bald eagles and American flags and foreign policy. I'm with my boys doing a job, like a really tight football team you know and we're doing a thing and so no matter how the politics plays out and no matter how no matter how the war ends up no matter if isis or the taliban takes back over and no matter if other people criticize the wars to me it doesn't ever take away from what you put the blood sweat and tears you put in the battlefield and the blood you spilled and the blood your brother spilled is not in vain because you did it for each other because i i don't know too many guys who are thinking about foreign policy when they're doing that job and in the moment yeah, and I think and, that's an important distinction to make sometimes. Well, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and, and I'm gonna riff on that. And what what I think happens, and I just, I think it happens. I knew that it happened in the book groups, and I think it's also happening in the classroom. And that is that these are issues that both veterans and American citizens have very strong views mm-hmm. and very angry views about, right. and very contemptuous views about. And one of the things that we do, and what we're doing in the Dartmouth classroom is putting a book in the middle of the room that takes us to really hard places, talks about loss, talks about anger, talks about the difficulties of reentry, and we're committing to talk about them, to engage in discussion about them. Not and and the book will take us places that we might not go in a conversation. Do you see what we're doing? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. That's a great idea, yeah. And then the second thing we're doing is because we're in a classroom, we've all committed that we're not going to yell at each other. Right, 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 no. (laughs) Right? And so one of the things that, that can happen in this, and I've seen it happen in the book groups, and I'm hoping, you know, it's the premise. It's not a learning objective. You learn how to talk rationally and calmly about about something that that makes people viscerally angry but we're learning to think just to 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 think and talk carefully about this and we're and i'm a civilian and you're a veteran and we're both reading the same text and you tell me how you respond to it and i listen and i say well oh i don't get that in or i get this and we're talking to each other directly but via the text right do you see no i do yeah i think that's a great idea exactly there it is and i I, I think that's again like a great point because i think for just on the veteran side being selfish i think it's good to help start processing a lot of things you've been through and by at least for me to, to explore the academic side and to you know read and and have discussions and be open to hearing things you don't want to hear and and it goes back to the point i was just making nothing that anyone says Nothing that any politician does, whether it's Bush or Obama or Trump or whoever, nothing takes away from the sacrifice you made with your boys. Nothing, Correct. nothing takes that away. Correct. 
and and that and if you can if you can accept that and and know that and that's how I feel that nothing you say or anyone says ever takes away from that no policy and so that allows me some freedom to be like well now I can discuss hey was the Iraq war a mistake or hey was this policy a mistake or hey should we have ignored Afghanistan for Iraq all these types of things you get into you can talk about it and not feel that there's a direct connection to you said Iraq's a mistake you said my buddy's life death was a mistake that's right because he wasn't a mistake because he did it for, he, he did it for each other yeah he didn't do it yeah. for bald eagles that time I'm sorry you know that's, that's right. it really that's no and, and 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 what I would say is the the level of you know I feel so privileged I have had such uh, a privilege to get to know and and to read and get to know and work with veterans of of World War II Korea Iraq one Panama the Iraq invasion of uh, um, you know the second Iraq whatever we call it you know right. the Bush Bush's war right uh, Afghanistan, it's been a real privilege. Right. And that's what I want my students to have. Absolutely. I think that's a outstanding class goal. And then I want to, I just want to, I want to wrap up with, with a, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but it's, it's a, a letter that General Mattis, I'm sure you, you, we all know who General, now Secretary Mattis, yes. the time General Mattis wrote about, about reading uh-huh. and about being, you might've heard this before. No, okay. tell me. And so he had a, um, in the run-up to Marine General James Mattis, this is from a Business Insider uh, okay. article. In the run-up to Marine General Jay Mattis's deployment to Iraq in 2004, a colleague wrote to him asking about the importance of reading and military history for officers, many of whom found themselves quote too busy to read, which yeah. is totally understandable. We about to invade Iraq, sure. dude. I don't have time to read your silly book. <laughs> I get, I, I get that, yeah. but it's still important. Yeah. And he, and so, he, so this is what General Mattis wrote in response to this this inquiry from another officer. He said, Dear Bill, the problem with being too busy to read is that you learn by experience or by your men's experience, i.e. the hard way. Yeah. By reading, you learn through others' experiences, generally a better way to do business, especially in our line of work where the consequences of incompetence are so final for young men. And then he goes on and he says, Thanks to my reading, I have never been caught flat-footed by any situation, never at a loss for how any problem has been addressed, successfully or unsuccessfully, before. It doesn't give me all the answers, but it lights what is often a dark path ahead. That's wonderful. And he goes on to, and you can look up the articles, it goes on, and he gives examples of all these times and the books he read and and how they uh, influenced his his actual command and, and I'm actually curious if you even heard of heard of a few of these maybe because you teach yeah. these you said with Task Force 58 I had with me Slim's book books about the Russian and British experiences in Afghanistan and a couple others yeah. going into Iraq the siege about the Brits defeat at Al Quds in World War One was required reading for field grade officers that's I, fantastic I also had Slim's book uh, reviewed T. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom, a good book about the life of Gertrude Bell, the British archaeologist who virtually founded the modern Iraq state in the aftermath of World War I and the fall of the Ottoman Empire, and also From Beirut to Jerusalem. I also went deeply into Lydell Hart's book on Sherman and Fuller's book on Alexander the Great, got a lot of my attention, although I never imagined that my headquarters would end up only 500 meters from where he lay in state in Babylon. Ultimately, a real understanding of history means that we face nothing 
new under the sun. That's excellent. And it goes That's on again. You can read more of the, the letter. That's excellent. But I thought it was such a such an important thing when I know when I was in, especially as a young man, I, I would have said, I don't have time to, to read a book yes. about war. I've yes. been training on the field and we don't need your stupid book. Yes. And someone who's so revered, like almost a like God status, as General Mattis is saying, no, no, no. And I think the line that like almost gives me gives me chills is that that one of those few opening lines. And he says, by reading, you learn through others' experiences, generally a better way to do business, especially in our line of work where the consequences of incompetence are so final for young men. Absolutely. And I think that's a, that Absolutely. line right there says exactly there why you should be a warrior and a scholar. There it is. There so it is. there it goes. Well, I want to I thank you for being on the thank podcast you. today, Professor Berta Stewart of Dartmouth College. And with that, you've been listening to the Greenside Podcast.